Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. And I said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good luck. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. Second captain, first captain, whatever. Hello and welcome to the Irish Times Second Captain's Podcast. Oh, McDevitt and Kieran Murphy here. Hello there, Auntie. How are you? I'm good now. Uh, Ken is not here because he's on holidays for the week. Boy, do we have a decent weekend of sport to cover. To cover. I had a long day yesterday, Murphy. Ah, uh, you did. No, you're looking at me even here. You know, I'm, yep. I'm looking. You're here. It started at 8:30 a.m. when I got up to watch the Australian Open final. It finished around 3:15 a.m. on Monday. That's today. With myself and yourself sitting in my house, dumbfounded at the most spectacular ending to the Super Bowl mm. that we could have asked for. At one stage, the American football looked like it was following a similar pattern to the tennis, actually, with the New England Patriots in the role of Andy Murray starting strongly before being slowly eaten alive by the Seahawks slash Novak Djokovic. Mm. There was uh, a remorselessness <laughs> to what was going on in both of those uh, sporting events. Ten points down in the final quarter, the fourth and final quarter, and then just when they needed it most, Tom Brady and Bill Belichick deflated the footballs no mm. they didn't they just came up with some pretty smart plays and got four points ahead scored two touchdowns went four points ahead with two minutes left and that's before all the drama happened yeah most of the drama came then in the, last the two excitement minutes. began <laughs> yeah, Tom yeah. Brady managed to uh, pick apart the Seattle Seahawks record breaking defence twice in the final quarter and after that the drama began uh, because Russell Wilson uh, threw a well, it was less than, whatever it was, a minute and 37 seconds on the clock or something like that. Less than two minutes anyway. Um, Russell Wilson, the C- Seattle uh, quarterback, throws a extremely speculative 40-yard pass that nearly gets intercepted. His man, Jermaine Kearse, jumps, tries to catch the ball, fails, ball lands on his chest, ricochets off his knee, ricochets off his elbow... And then he catches it for the most ridiculous, one of the most ridiculous catches you're ever going to see. And ridiculously lucky catches, uh, although oh. he was persistent. I mean, he, he, well, he allowed the ball to bounce off him a few times. Yeah, what he managed to do was to sort of play possum at the exact right moment with his <laughs> limbs uh, to ensure that he didn't, you know, fly kick the ball 20 yards from his person. So he catches the ball. They have eight yards to go. They have one of the greatest running backs in the history of the game. This is you, beast mode, Marshawn Lynch, who yeah. we bigged up with US Murph last week. You hand Marshawn Lynch the ball and he will carry numerous opponents with him over the 
over the over the line. That's that's the plan. Uh, he is so he's effectively four goals to run eight yards. With his first goal, he runs seven of those <laughs> yards. He has three goals left, uh, and for some reason, instead of running the ball, the other option, of course, is that you throw the ball, uh, carrying with it. There are three things that can happen when you throw the ball, Chris Collinsworth said on the NBC broadcast last night, and two of those things are bad. Unfortunately, one of those two bad things is that you throw a pass and it gets intercepted mm. on the on the line, um, and the Patriots win the game. And Marshawn Lynch is, you know, I did kind of get you here, so maybe when it comes to actually winning the game, you could give me the ball and then I could, you know, win the game. Uh, but the Seahawks decided to go another way. Uh, and so ended one of the most dramatic. Uh, I, to be honest, if we hadn't seen the Seahawks uh, rob the Green Bay Packers in the championship game two weeks ago, I'd have said it's the most dramatic end to a game I've ever seen. Unbelievable, yeah. Let's hear the NBC commentators, Al Michaels, and first the man you mentioned there, Chris Collingsworth, reacting to that choice of play. So we won't, won't bother listening to them actually call it happening, but this is uh, how they reacted when it started dawning on them that the Seahawks had <laughs> just gone for a very, very bizarre choice of play at a strange time. They tried to pick play out. They tried to go here, but he beats him to the punch. And I'm sorry, but I can't believe the call. Me neither. I cannot believe the call. You've got Marshawn Lynch in the backfield. You've got a guy that's been borderline unstoppable in this part of the field. I can't believe the call. And that was just the start of it. The two boys are quite measured, but were totally stunned. Mm. They just kept talking. Uh, you know when you're trying to make sense out of something, and you don't usually see this in a polished American broadcast, because mm. there's almost a requirement for them to be instantaneously able to, to decipher why something, how something happened and why mm. it happened. But they couldn't understand why. And the reason why, as we found out, is that Pete Carroll, the coach, called this play. We, people were debating whether or not maybe it was Russell Wilson, the quarterback, decided just had a rush of blood to the head. But no, by all accounts, it was the coach, mm. the usually very successful coach for the, the yeah. then defending champion. And, CEO. you know, it's, yeah, it's a very, very strange situation where it's completely unanimous. You know, there's no one really offering up a kind of alternative. Well, you know, maybe it's, it couldn't have been a, the worst idea. But literally everyone said this is the worst play in the history of American football. <laughs> and that's that's probably not a very nice situation for Pete Carroll to wake up in today. It really lit up our Super Bowl party, though, I have to say. I don't yeah. know if I told you this, Murph, but my girlfriend, Rebecca, um, actually woke up at that point. She didn't realise. She it wasn't didn't, well, my fault, I hope. No, it was more. She thought I she said to me, did you fall? Last night, like, what did you ha- did you have a fall? I think is what you said. I was like, "What? Am I of the age that I just regularly have falls?" Mm. I was like, "No, I didn't have a, I didn't have a fall." And she said, "All right, no, I just heard some really weird guttural sounds from you, followed by Murph laughing hysterically." <laughs> I was thinking, "Hang on a second. If I was to have had, had a fall, you this, you think so poorly of Kieran Murphy that you think he would just laugh hysterically?" Well, to be fair, at my fall. To be fair, uh, depending on how hilarious the pratfall was, on I'm not going to rule that one out entirely. Speaking of Super Bowl parties, I'll tell you one man who had a great time. Mm. At his one, if, it, if our Twitter interaction with him is anything to go by, US Murph. We're going to catch up with Brian on Thursday, but safe to say, Doug and Lisa delivered big time on their the promises. Stops. Yeah, they did. Apparently okay. so. I mean, it sounded like he had a ball. Again, do Doug and Lisa follow him on Twitter? Who knows? Uh, hopefully we'll get the full he did leave after version. a half time or certainly before the end yeah. of the game oh it's just I gotta work in the morning <laughs> now in fairness as it turns out he's got to work in the middle of the night not the morning ok so, so US Mayor on Thursday but this Super Bowl was so dramatic that we can't not cover on today's show we'll have a quick chat with Kevin Cullen of the Boston Globe in just uh, a little while Jerry Thorny's going to pop into us as well to have a look ahead to Joe Schmidt's team selection for the Six Nations opener against Italy just about everybody seems to be predicting 
Ireland should walk this Six Nations because that's what we usually do. I mean, we, we, we've got such a rich history of living up to favourites, favouritism tag, and uh, just crushing England and Wales mm. and France and these other nations. I'm sorry, Owen. That's just what we do. It's almost a no-brainer. February and March on, is sure. killing time <laughs> for, for the, the Irish, Irish rugby team. It always has been, and it always will be. <laughs> always will be. Yeah. And very shortly, we'll have Anthony Moyles and Ushin McConville on the opening weekend of the Allianz League. We interviewed Tommy Walshmurf on the show last week, Kerry's returning superstar. Yep. And he came on as a sub, mostly around midfield. Yeah, I mean, uh, if we were to believe uh, the reports coming from last weekend, uh, Tommy Walsh was, had quite a bit to go to get back to championship intensity. Uh, but he looked pretty at home to me. Uh, started at midfield with his uh, uh, clubmate, David Morn. And uh, that's a pretty scary prospect. Now, Anthony Maher had a very good year last year as well, so you throw it into the mix. And it just goes to show carry of options everywhere. You know, you talk about Tommy Walsh as a potential maybe even centre-back. Uh, Full-back. I, I put that to him in the interview last week. I'm not mm-hmm. sure if that made the final cut of the interview, but certainly I asked him that uh, because M. Fitzmaurice had been quoted that day saying, depending on the player, depending on, essentially if they put a big man up top, mm. we might put a big man back to curb that. But when I put that to Tommy Walsh, he smiled as if to say... I, I'll play there if I have to. I'm really coming back here to score. His dad, his dad was a fullback, apparently. So he was a fullback and a full forward. Oh yeah, okay. Sean Walsh and midfield. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, there is the 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 uh, the genes are good there are 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 helpful. But uh, yeah, no, it was actually it was a bit of a thrill to see him back. To be honest, I thought he'd look six foot nine and twenty three stone. Um, I thought he would tower over our puny amateurs um, like a giant. That's, he actually just looked trim and extremely fit. I thought that, yeah, I thought that, that's interesting. You said that it looked that way on TV because I thought that up close as well. I mean, mm. The guy's uh, impressive. Yeah, not not quite as monstrous as for some reason. But it is Aussie rules. If you look at the way the Aussie rules guys yeah. are built, they're not quite necessarily all as muscle bound as they used to be. Uh, the, that pitch is pretty big, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it would help, I suppose, if you were able to run around yeah. and fill some of the positions on that gigantic pitch of theirs. Uh, we should mention that Kerry did lose that game, so let's not be bigging them up too much. Anthony and Oshin are here and ready to go, lads. You're both very welcome. Thanks very much, Owen. Thanks for having us. You're looking very sprightly, Anthony, for a man who was up. <laughs> In the, in, into the early hours watching the Super Bowl? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, um, I got plenty of sleep on Saturday, Friday. Gear, I geared <laughs> up for it. Set yourself up for it. Yeah. Quite a dramatic finish. <laughs> like, Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. Great game. Great game. And there's been some cra- cracking games. The Seahawks uh, were riding their luck, so um, I was delighted that uh, it finished out there. Yeah, so was I. I. Apparently, we weren't supposed to be supporting the Patriots because of the deflate of footballs. I was, I was, yeah, I thought that. Yeah, it's a little bit of game. Anyway, listen, yeah, we we're, we're supposed to be talking about a different sport, and the GA season has begun, which is good news because it means we don't have to talk about whatever's on Joe Brawley's mind this week. Absolutely. We can talk about football now. Absolutely. Um, I haven't heard Joe Brawley's name in at least 48 hours, which is obviously a good thing. But uh, a decent start to the, to the. I was actually in Newbridge yesterday. Um, I was doing a bit for, for BBC. That was traumatic. For BBC Radio. I thought I got the short straw when I initially was told it was That was Kildare Newbridge. Down. Yeah, Kildare yeah. Down. And, uh, but it ended up actually very, very good game football. Uh, the difference between the two teams yesterday was that I think Kildare were trying to perfect a new system and Down were just trying to win a football match. Right. And with 90 seconds left, it looks as if Kildare were going to win with three points up. Down ended up winning by four. Uh, they got two goals in the last couple of minutes and they got a point as well. And uh, it was decent fair, it was, it was decent quality football, but you just think that the top six teams in Division 1 are so far ahead of what 
uh, of everything else that's going on. Uh, probably the bottom two in Division One. Division Two is going to be a cracking division. It's going to be there's going to be some great games and great football in it, but um, the quality just probably isn't good enough to to to, to challenge in that Division One. Kerry were beaten by Mayo for for people who didn't see it comfortably enough in the end, seven mm. points. Maybe not too surprising. Mayo had a stronger team out there, and the Kerry lads have Austin. Sta- well, I suppose Donny's the only one they're really losing there for the time being away with Austin Stacks but they've, they're just back from a team holiday uh, which is interesting do, do, do teams always go that late is it always well into January by the way teams uh, by the time teams go away because Fitzmaurice said afterwards look we're behind at the moment but we'll, we'll catch up over the, the course of the league it seems like you're kind of starting from a disadvantage if you're only going away yeah sometimes it's kind of early January but there could have been exams or something like that or they might have just decided to do it but uh, you know Kerry are traditionally kind of slow starters in the league like last year they were nearly blessed and I think it was last year the year before they were blessed to kind of to avoid relegation um, didn't have a very strong team out whereas Mayo I think that was vital that Mayo won that game yesterday first of all you know new management dispel a little bit of the demons from last year and, and, and but at the same time you have a situation where I think Mayo will want to win this league I think they'll really push to win this um, I've been thinking about it recently Mayo struggle a little bit I suppose league wise because um, you know as recently I was chatting with Shamey O'Shea there a couple of weeks back and he was telling me about the amount of them that train up here in Dublin you mm. know and that and that's that's difficult then for a league campaign because you've got seven to ten lads and maybe three or four or five of your starters who actually aren't training on your Tuesdays and Thursdays with the rest of the squad. Yeah, I think so it's as much as 15. Yeah, Is it? yeah, I think oh. Killian O'Connor was, was talking at the end of last week and he said that he's in Belfast and is training with, I think, as many as 15 of the Mayo panel in Dublin, which is, yeah, as you say, yeah. a huge disruption to, to particularly a new management setup as well. Absolutely. So um, again, you know, there must, there's, I know they have a couple of fellas down here working with them who obviously relay stuff back. There's a lot of trust there, but I think Mayo really have to push. They have to. I'd say that management team would really will really want to try and sneak up and win this league because if you look at the structure of the league this year, Dublin will use it, I think, to try and find a couple of new players. Um, Cork will be competitive, I feel, because again, Cuthbert is under pressure. But Donegal will, you know, a new manager, they'll probably feel their way through it. Gallagher talking afterwards said six points will keep you safe. Why is that different to Mayo, though? Why would because Donegal, I think Ma- new manager, want to feel their way through it? Mayo. Because I, I, I think Mayo just need to get some silverware, <laughs> you know, and I don't mean that, of course, they've Connacht's, right? But they need to, I think they need to come up, like they've been there, thereabouts in the last, I don't know how many leagues. They've been in semi finals and finals for, like, I mean, they've been the most consistent team in Division One, I think, over the last so 10 years. They need years. to start being a dominant team. Yeah. Absolutely. Actually, win, win and if you look at the team, Look at the look at the team yesterday. It was a very experienced team, you know. And the one thing that disappointed me was uh, Ushin. Something we spoke about last year was, you know, one of their new lads goes off injured, broke his collarbone, and Mikey Conroy comes on. You know, like I mean, they're still they're still kind of using the same panel of players again. I'd mm. rather see four or five new lads because he needs to find two. Definitely tr- two to three different fellas this 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 year through yeah. his league campaign. In fairness, they did try, <clears throat> they did have Ronson uh, starting, and they tried uh, Regan before he went off, mm. and there was Adam Gallagher as well. So maybe he thought they had enough experimentation done. But the interesting thing as well is like Ronaldson and Evan Regan no. are not they're, they're not, not fresh new, out of minors. They're not no. new, new. No. Yeah. they're sort of regurgitated. It, you know, at this stage, they've been yeah. there and have they've had a bit of a, an opportunity, but. As Miles just says, there's nobody new coming bursting on the scene. I mean, Regan has had a good uh, 
season so far with his with his university, and and probably he's one of the players who you could have looked to and said maybe he's that one person who's going to come in and help Killian O'Connor and get that one four one five again because that's what he's been doing for his college, but. Uh, he looks as if he's going to be out for quite some time. Made a so horrible fall. To, yeah. um, not unlike what you see in rugby when a guy gets taken out in the air, albeit this was totally accidental, but a pretty bad one for him. And there's a good picture of him in the front of the Irish Times, actually, today, you know, yeah. uh, just before he landed, and he's just completely unprotected. Like, you know what I mean? He's just he's up in the air and he's not protecting himself coming down. Yeah, so. it's that kind of injury. You just you shudder even yeah. looking at it. Mm-hmm. I just think the, the, the point that you made, uh, Ushin, in relation to Kildare and Down is actually, you know, you're. That's what you're talking about with the league. Yeah, is absolutely. you know, it's the, the the teams that want to win football games against the the teams who are anxious to to find the one or two yeah. or to you know stay up in the division. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's that's where it is, and you can say that 100, percent Anthony. I think you're absolutely right about Mayo. That this, you know, it, they went down to Kerry right. You know, August I'm sure was in their minds very much so, but also the fact that you know, let's let's start dominating teams let's beat teams away from home mm. and let's let's win a league I think and that, that's obviously a, a huge that's that's a huge thing in in the minds of Noel Kennelly and Pat Holmes as well but just on the idea of the different priorities that different teams have Dublin for example and Anthony said it there Oisin really just want to find a few new players and that's what Jim Gavin said after the defeat against Cork he says we have a squad of players who need to experience elite football but do they really? I mean the players the depth of squad is one thing they definitely have Should they, do they not need to actually find a way of find a game plan that's going to withstand the rigours of a of a, a Donegal type ambush this season yeah possibly but I, I think that Dublin are in an unenviable position that they can actually wait till championship almost to do that until they've got until he knows what his settled squad is okay, until, so you get the players in first and then you I think, I think so well that's the case with Dublin a lot of other teams you know won't have the you know that platform in order to do that. Like I mean, there's a lot of teams in Ulster who will just want to win, You know, get through the first round when it comes to championship. I, again, the thing about about Dublin is that they don't need to find. You know, they don't need to find five or six players. You know, what I mean, they're gonna have a lot of experience coming back into that team. So if they find two or three, they can do a job for you, and maybe even. You talk about it a lot, Anthony. Is horses for courses? You know what I mean. But <laughs> but that's the case. You know, sometimes it's not. Uh, it's not possible to play McCaffrey and play um, McCarthy and play um, Johnny Cooper. Say, Johnny in Cooper, all in yet. the one, all in the one system, all in the one uh, defense. And if you're coming up against a Donegal, I think you got to fight fire with fire. And I think that's the thing that he's going to have to find. He's going to have to find a traditional cornerback that maybe isn't the best footballer in the world, but is a good sticky cornerback. And he comes out and he fists the ball to somebody, and that's his job done. He goes in and retreats and marks his man again. And that's they're the sort of players who have actually, believe it or not, sort of gone from the game. Everybody wants to play football now. Everybody wants to be a footballer. Nobody wants to just do a job and be part of that team. And and that's exactly what Dublin need because Dublin traditionally. That's what they've done. They've always had footballers. They've always had footballers. And the funny thing about Kerry is that they have had a couple of players like that down through the years who have just been happy doing their job at cornerback, getting the ball out, going back in and doing their job again. And there's a real sense of you know a, a purpose about the fact that they've got a defensive system, and we've seen it over the last number of years with Donegal, who are, who continued to punch above the weight. I'm sure, sure if you're or, if you're Rory O'Carroll there uh, at fullback for Dublin, you're, <coughs> and if you're listening to Ocean here, you're screaming in agreement because it's exactly what you need back there. It's, it seems like they get quite exposed. Uh, yeah, they, well, they certainly <laughs> were last year. But uh, could you tell much from the game against Cork? 
Uh, not a whole lot, no. Like, I mean, he's, he's, he's trying to persist with a few fellas like Dean Rock and these guys to try and see, okay, can he, as you say, match up to the rigours of, of, of going up the levels. Um, that's a good game for them down there. Like, Cork were a very strong team again out. Um, but I think, Gavin, like, the interesting thing with Dublin this year will be, will he actually say to himself, okay, we weren't that far off last year, which they weren't, right? And will he say... Bar a couple of things, we could have easily beat Donegal and we could have raced away from Donegal, right? Which they could have done. Um, or will he actually admit to himself and, and say, no, I was wrong um, and I need to look at it and I need to, as Ushin say, says, find a couple of players who ideally set this system that I can always rely on and fellas who can lead on the team because ultimately we spoke about this last year during that 15 minute spell against Donegal they were leaderless they were leaderless at the back you know Jer Brennan was missing at 6 and although Jer might have the pace and stuff he has, he has the head he has the brain that a lot of those guys and he has the he, has, he knows the wherewithal of okay there's danger here I need to step back in and, and cover up this hole and he's probably will he come back after the Vincent's affair that's a long long spell for him with injuries again have they got a settled six? I don't see it yet. Um, and without that, I still believe that they're vulnerable there. So Gavin needs to unearth that solidity, first of all, I think, in that half-back line. Because going forward, there's, there's no real worries. They don't need to worry about yeah, that. But, but if you don't have that half-back line, well, then your, your full-back line is massively exposed. And I don't care who you are in a full-back line. You know, you saw it even even against with Donegal the other night in Derry. You know, when Murphy goes in and when Murphy's playing one on one against a full back, <laughs> although he got extremely held up by the referee, mm. uh, he will cause major problems. So you do need you need a bit of you need a bit of brains around that five, six, seven level, and you know you can't you can't just all be gung ho at at, at 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 the same time. Murphy or still Cork are going to have to do a little bit more to win your trust back. Well. You know, when you back a team to win, though, right? <laughs> and then they, 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 some would say they flattered somewhat to deceive in the championship last year. That's how, that's how I'd put it. And they do have to go a little way to win back your trust. But I just, I have this concern about them, right? And uh, this is going to sound a little harsh, right? But my, um, my brother, in a very uncharitable moment, once described a footballer as a TG Cahar footballer, right? Which means that he's absolutely brilliant. Under 21, <laughs> Sigerson, National League, but that when the coverage moves from TG Carr <laughs> onto RD, <laughs> that he starts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, onto RD. I actually thought it, it's uh, one of the smartest things he's ever said. And I just feel that Cork have. That could be the greatest insult to a Gaelic player. I know, it actually is, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. I mean, some someone would be happy to get on TG Carr, you know? But. Um, yeah, I mean, I just think that this Cork team, there's still quite a few of them that would fit broadly into that into that characterisation. I I like to back that up because uh, you know just reading uh, Cuthbert's um, quotes just after the game about you know about the criticism that too early, too early for me to be coming out and and saying about the critics and different things. They have a long way to go before they make any impact in this league first and foremost, and then championship, and. I'm sorry, but I'm going to have to be knife into them until they actually do something. Because again, to frustrate me because they have they have a panel that could easily go and challenge up there. I don't know. Just seem to be they don't seem to have the drive that other teams have. And uh, whether that's maybe I'm looking at them uh, through rose tinted glasses, and maybe they're just genuinely not good enough. But I think they have the panel that should be 
doing a lot better than they have done. It'd be done. surprising that they wouldn't have the drive because uh, I assume that they're putting in all the same <clears throat> work that everyone that every other top intercounty team is doing. I'd be very surprised if they weren't necessarily well, doing that. Well, maybe the drive is there. Sorry, Owen, maybe the drive is there, but to keep it well hidden, right. it's mm. very hard to see it. You know, as you're as you're looking at it from a distance. I think it, there's 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 little kind of insights that you get <clears> and. <throat> Cuthbert and and the way he reacted is a little insight into the pressure that's being felt within that group. You know, like I mean, there's no need for that. As Ashin says, it's 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 February. You know, long, long, long way to go. Just keep your head down, work with the panel, keep everyone solid. You know, don't just and, and if you have if you have uh, uh, you know this the old. Uh, the world is is against us. Well, then just keep it keep it well hid. We'll keep it well hid until at least you win a monster, you know, and then you can come out and then have. But don't 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 let's not come out there and say talk about the supporters and talk about this and talk about that and different things. Like I would just say that they need to really knuckle down um, because if they're cute about it, they could have a great run in in, in the league and they could come into that championship. Mm. You know, in 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 fine fettle, and they have a lot of talent. They have a serious amount of talent. But as Ushin says, it just it just it, it just seems to go, do enough, and then just kind of sit, settles back. And they're in the last twelve of the championship. You know, yeah. you, you know like they they, they, they need to realise the privileged position they're in as well. That they're Absolutely. you know, barring a total disaster, they're in the last twelve of the championship. So you know, the, the situation in Cork needn't be that bad, but they need to step up from what we saw in the championship last year, which is total shambles. Murph, uh, the last game I want to mention is involves your own county <coughs> uh, and your county as well. well, like, well your brothers contributed to this one as well. Already, yeah. Game, well, yeah. I mean, the considered opinion from, from uh, all of the Murphys uh, in attendance <laughs> yesterday was that Galway, not great, Meath, utterly atrocious. <laughs> and it, and uh, Harsh brother, these guys are tough critics. They really, yeah. I, I, they really, they they really are. But me, I take but, it we're not even talking TG Carr. No level. <laughs> we're talking. No, I, God knows what. Um, but uh, yeah, well, even in fairness, Mick O'Dowd did actually describe it as a shocking performance as well. Um, to score a point and then not to score for twenty minutes, uh, yeah. which me did. Uh, is is absolutely. Like, I mean, I know we've had we've had. A f- I, I remember going down to Galway and playing a few absolute shockers as well. It's not a nice place to be no. when Galway get going and they start to throw the ball around. It's not big pitch, you know, can be fairly wild and exposed. Mm. But it's just like I mean, it's it's a situation where I really I thought me to win this game because I looked at the Galway team and I thought it was pretty experimental. There was a, yeah. there was a okay couple of couple of the shall we say. Experienced lads, but they're still young lads. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the me team had a lot of fellas who were on on kind of Leinster final panel team last year, and uh, they were really beaten by seven points. They got a consolation goal in the end, but uh, that's a that's a that's a bad bad loss. Yeah, and I think uh, you know, as Ushin said, Division Two is going to be very very entertaining, and Gola have four home games, and they kind of have to win the four home games really. Um, but you know, you have a look. There's Probably going to be eight lads from the Curfin panel mm. that will come back in once once the the, the thing is finished, uh, the club championships are finished for Curfin. So, and they would be important players for Gola. Certainly, Lundy, Gary Sice will be back in. Um, he's uh, very much committed to this year, and he was a huge loss last year. He was yeah. effectively Gola's uh, second or third best player over the last couple of years. Um, so yeah, I mean it's it's a good start for Kevin Walsh certainly. It's again. It did. You know, there are familiar questions about Galway, um, and you know, we're not going to find the answers to them in in February. But it's a pretty decent. Start. So Galway for Sam. Uh, d- 
2015 G Sam is the car registration <laughs> number that I've <laughs> They went en masse, the Murphy family. Yeah. Got them up, yes, uh. Just to criticise footballers, have a go at all the, the, the footballers yeah. on the field. Anthony, O'Shane, brilliant stuff, thank you. Thanks, all. Cheers, on. Modern day coaching. What is it all about? Paralysis by analysis. Infiltrated by a load of spoofers and bluffers. Fellas with earpieces stuck in their ears. Psychologists, Clyde Woodward, statisticians, dietitians, and as Mick O'Connell alluded to, God save us. In every game, there comes a time to send in the specialist. That one player who can make all the difference, turn the tide and make the save. The same is true for your finances. The savings specialists can help you hit your savings targets. At Rabbit Direct, we're not just any bank. We're the savings specialists. Get your savings on side, add us to your team. Rabbit Direct, the straight-talking savings bank. I mentioned the tennis at the, start, at the beginning of the show, Murph. Andy Murray yeah. coming a cropper against Novak Djokovic. I, it occurred to me after the second set or at some stage in the second set this is a strange sport in that <laughs> it occurs this is the first time I've ever watched a tennis match mm. this is a weird sport this, I don't get the scoring system for a start why, can't, why don't they just kick it yeah this is just absolutely bizarre why are they using those bizarre shit like, well, when I got my head around all that I thought <laughs> yeah. the emotion involved in a top level tennis match like that it would have to be a Grand Slam final. Murray in particular was totally losing shit mm. like, the entire time. Yeah. Way, way too much. Way more than was actually strictly the fist pumping healthy was. for him. Yeah. But it wasn't just fist pumping. It was po- there was positive stuff. There was negative stuff. But in, within the first two sets, he must have... You know when you see a sports person really go absolutely crazy, just mainline adrenaline, yeah. as Tom Brady did, for example, once in the game uh, in the Super Bowl, which was yeah. at the point where the interception had just about guaranteed them victory. Murray did that honestly 10 to 12 times in the first two sets and I was just thinking this guy can't have anything left in the tank here he Mm. really really can't and he didn't as it turned out Uh, Djokovic seems to be able to Djokovic was doing his usual oh yeah I'm struggling a bit here oh look my poor ankle my thumb is sore Uh, Murray had something to say about that today as well oh did he what did he say today well just it's kind of interesting that he played so well after (laughs) having a cramp it's just interesting you know it's I'd hope that it's not gamesmanship but uh yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, Djokovic is serious games. I remember that US Open, was it a US Open semi-final a couple of years ago where Federer was serving, it was a semi-final or final and Federer was serving to win the match um, and was went 40 love up and Djokovic was actually applauding his shots. Yeah. Federer one shot and Djokovic just turned to Federer and applauded him. Yeah, as a, Not even so much to the fans, but more to, to, to show his respect for Roger and the thorough beating that he was administering to Djokovic. Of course, Djokovic turned it around and won the match. Yeah. Uh, so there's definitely a little bit of uh, gamesmanship involved no, there. But I, the first two sets of the tennis were absolutely astonishing until it totally fell apart. Yeah. Actually, I should, I should also say that Andy Murray said along the lines of, well, you know, it did affect me. You know? so Andy, you know, I'm sorry. If a guy goes down pretending to have a bit of cramp that should not affect you. That should not yeah. throw you off. I love game. Andy Murray. I really do. I really yeah, like, I like, him, I really like well. him as a sportsman. But he, it was David Lloyd, isn't he the co-commentator on yeah. BBC, made the point in commentary that uh, Moresmo seems to have done a lot of good stuff for him um, on the technical side of things. And by all accounts, she's meant to be quite a steadying influence. This is certainly what Judy Murray always says. Yeah. But uh, Lloyd's opinion was that under Ivan Lendl, he wouldn't have lost. He wouldn't have lost it emotionally. As he did so often. At one stage, he was giving out to his box. You know, he said that's not very helpful. Shouting over at them, whether I don't know who yeah. it was his coach or, or Moresmo or who it was, but it was just a lot of screaming and shouting and effing and blinding and all the rest. Yeah, of it. you. Yeah, you. Do, you don't want to be 
expending that amount of emotional energy in a game where you know you're going to need a lot of your actual energy. Speaking of emotional energy, let's talk about that Super Bowl now. Kevin Cullen of the Boston Globe joins us. Kevin, great to talk to you. Um, you're a happy Bostonian today, I'm sure, but are you forever indebted to the Seahawks coach, Pete Carroll? Well, you know, obviously Pete Carroll was the coach here back. Actually, I was I was living in Ireland when Pete Carroll was the coach in uh, 97, 98, 99, and I, I think that this might, honestly, I'm not trying to be hyperbolic, which is usually surrounding the Super Bowl. I think that will go down, Owen, as the worst call in the history of the Super Bowl because the coach had the discretion. They had the time. He made a call for a pass at the one-yard line when they had Marshawn Lynch, the best downhill runner in the game, all they had to do is hand the ball off to Lynch one or two more times, and he's in the end zone. Uh, it, it, it was a stunning call by Carroll, and people will talk about it from this day forward. There were tweets almost immediately about uh, from various reporters at the stadium who were hearing the Seahawks players grumble pretty loudly. They weren't being too uh, too slow in, in criticizing the call themselves. And this is a, of a coach who got them to the Super Bowl this year, won them a Super Bowl last year. Is there any? Has anyone offered any logical explanation as to why he neglected the easy option to go for the, the high-risk play? No one has offered a, a logical explanation. I, I've, I've seen Carroll's explanation, which is he claims it was not the right matchup uh, for them to run the football. Now, some analysts, former pl- players, said that, th- they, that that's just not true, that actually they had they had stacked up the, the both outside. They, they clearly, you know, they weren't just stacking up the middle, which is what Carroll was suggesting, that they would be able to commit it. You know, if they could, all, all Carroll was saying, they needed to go, you know, with a quick slant because yeah. they could do that because the middle was stacked up against a run. That's just not true. And I looked at the replay, and it isn't true. So I don't know. I, I don't know how he got that wrong. And you mentioned the, tw- the, the Twitter sphere. I mean, it was great players, former and current, all over the country were sending stuff saying that was the dumbest play I've ever seen. Dante Stallworth sent it. I mean, I don't know anybody. It would be curious to see in the coming days if anybody will raise their hand and say that Carroll was right, or at least it was a 50-50 call. I just think it was one of those things when somebody who's recognized as one of the best coaches in football, one of the, certainly one of the best motivators, and one of the, if anybody, I know Pete Carroll, he's a really nice guy, and that's what's so perplexing about this. I think everybody's scratching their heads saying they, this was the one Super Bowl in which a coach lost it for his team. Was the ending so dramatic that it might now finally overshadow the deflate gate controversy that dominated the buildup? I don't think so with other than, like I said, I've always called the, the Patriots of the Manchester United of American football. Outside their fan base, everybody hates them. And it, I don't think this will change it at all. In fact, I think it will intensify feelings against the Patriots. And Patriots fans have really developed this thick skin. Again, like Man U supporters or like New York Yankee supporters, they just say, point. if you say something to the Yankees fans over the years about how they buy all their championships, they just point up at the flags. They say, count them. And I think that's, I think this, if anything, I think this probably polarizes the two sides in the Patriots debate. But, you know, let's, let's be honest, four Super Bowls in 14 years, uh, this is the first dynasty of this century, of this millennium. And uh, the other thing is, you know, 
they could be very well back at that game or at least at the AFC Championship game next year. They're still that good. Well, this is it. And Tom Brady, uh, the reaction of Brady when the when that interception was caught um, by Malcolm Butler was just incredible. I don't know if I've ever seen him go quite as wild on the <laughs> on the sideline there. He still had to get his head back in the game because it was a little bit of tidying up to be done over the last few seconds. But he's won four Super Bowls now, uh, along with Belichick. No quarterback, I think, has ever won five. Brady doesn't look like a guy who's tiring or slowing down or in any way losing his enthusiasm. Do you get the sense that this guy's not going to stop until he becomes the most successful quarterback of all time? No, the interesting thing about Tom Brady compared to others, say, look at Russell Wilson, the uh, Seattle quarterback. Within five years, his skills will diminish because most of his skills are being elusive and moving around. That's something you lose with age. The thing about Brady is he was never quick. He was never fast. He came out of college and underappreciated and, and unappreciated by a quarterback. And the other thing about him is his fitness level. There's a great picture of him when he, he showed up at the NFL Combine right out of Michigan. He looked like a guy that would play touch football on a weekend. He looked like he was out of shape and everything. He's in, in fantastic shape now. And he doesn't, his skills, first of all, he has an arm, a very strong arm. That's not diminishing with age. It just hasn't. And the other thing he has is this innate sense to sense pressure and step away from it. He doesn't run away from it. He steps up in the pocket or he steps sideways. That has not diminished with age. So I think he can play another three or four years at the, at, at the highest level. Kevin, just lastly, the Boston fans are spoiled for success really over the last uh, yeah. 10 or 15 years in various sports. But that said, this the dramatic nature of this one, will it be celebrated just as wildly over the next couple of days as all the rest? Well, Bob Kraft, the owner of the Patriots, said that this was even sweeter than the very first one in 2002 when they beat the Rams and nobody gave him the shot. That was the first one. You know, Brady came off the bench when Bledsoe gets hurt and he, he establishes himself. I think that's true. I think Patriots fans will see this as a sweet win, especially because of Deflategate, especially because people were really – you could tell that the entire country was rooting against them. And so to come through um, like this – I think we here in, in um, New England now, we can honestly say we know what it feels like to be Kerry. <laughs> All right, Kevin. <laughs> we'll leave it there. Listen, brilliant stuff as always. And, and well done to everyone in Boston. Thanks, Emil. Thanks a lot, Owen. All the best. Yeah, great to chat to Kevin through the snowstorm, I should say. We're there talking about celebrations. I mean, celebrations, I mean, I'm sure they will be fairly substantial mm. in the Boston and New England area. But I don't know how the old... Um, the usual open-top bus parade is going to go with the streets covered in snow. Yeah. Maybe everyone just celebrates indoors. Snowplow. Snowplow, Open-top yeah. snowplow. Yeah. That, that I'd pay to see. So it does seem as though, right, what's happened here in this NFL game, if we boil it down to a simple explanation of this Super Bowl, is a highly respected coach, Super Bowl champion coach, who pulled off a couple of huge plays earlier in the game, had taken mm-hmm. a couple of risks earlier in the game, lower, probably uh, lower risk, lower return uh, efforts has totally lost his mind right at the biggest moment of a Super Bowl. Yeah. Or there's an element of him believing his own hype as well. Possibly. You know, the easy thing to do is give it to the guy who will steamroller the opposition in, into and score a touchdown. And, That's no, the easy thing and at that point, nobody will praise the coach, but yeah. they might praise the coach if they throw a... Yeah, a, no one saw that pass. coming. No one saw that coming. <laughs> and yet there it was. Uh, That's... The first line of Pete Carroll's obituary right there. What a gutsy call to not give it to your best player at the moment of highest importance. I did see those Tom Brady combine pictures 
referenced by Kevin there. They were popped up in a bit of a package mm. uh, on TV yesterday. And yeah, he really, he did not look like a guy who's going to... I mean, he didn't look unlike you or I if we were standing around for a combine. Actually, a weird composite of me and you <laughs> in that he's six Tall. foot four and quite scrawny. And then then we'll throw in your belly. And that's... <laughs> Why do I get a belly? That's really We might have unfair. to compare. We might, have to, com- we might have to do a little unfair. belly comparison here. Uh, hey, this isn't, two- this isn't 2007, Murph. Yeah. Things it's have changed 2007, around 2007, old McDevitt. And my... Uh, actually, 2007 composite of me and you. That's exactly Tom Brady. That, that's Less hairy, though. Le- a little less hairy. I'm not entirely convinced that uh, there wasn't a bit of pruning there. Ireland opened this, the, their defence of the Six Nations on Saturday. Joe Schmidt names his team at midday on Thursday. And that means today we get to try and guess what the team is going to be. Jerry Thorney is in studio with us now and Simon's popped over. Uh, I have to say, Simon, first of all, I'm kind of worried about this. I was reading the Sunday papers and everybody seems to be tipping Ireland to win. I'm including Stephen Jones of the Sunday Times in this. Yeah, one. that's Even the first Stephen one you Jones. see and go, whoa, <laughs> yeah. whoa. There's, some, there's something up here. Um, I don't know if consensus builds... Over a long period of time, Ireland obviously only beaten once last year. And I think people look at not just Joe Schmidt with Ireland, but Joe Schmidt with Leinster. And they kind of feel, teams under him feel unbeatable. But then when you look at the reality of every game, and Jerry, I'm sure you'll agree on most of this, every game has been losable and winnable for Ireland. The, Margins the have been tiny. Yeah, yeah, yeah every yeah. time. And, and the way it is at the moment, Scotland and Italy, weaker than everybody else, and then the other four, almost identical at times. And you'd imagine at least three of the Ireland games are going to come down to One final score. five minutes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, in the, last five, in the last five years, the four contenders have each won the title once. Wales have won it twice. England have won it once. Ireland have won it once. France have won it once. And Wales have won it twice. And it's a four-way fight again with an improved Scotland, which therefore you would think would make it even more difficult to call. I'm amazed. Like last year, I don't remember many people going for Ireland. This year, they are. It's almost a little bit of um, after the horse's boat in the sense that Oh yeah, Joe Schmidt, that Joe Schmidt factor. He wins trophies every year and he has won trophies every year for the last five seasons. Clermont's only top 14 success as an assistant coach, followed by three trophy-laden years with Leinster and first year with Ireland, a Six Nations title, Ireland's second since the mid-80s. So yeah, Silverware has a habit of following him around. A bit like Warren Gatlin does well and I'm just surprised Wales aren't favourites. I must be able to see they announced their team this morning. Two changes from the side that beat South Africa, welcoming back Hibbert and George North. I would have thought they're, they're, I would, wouldn't be surprised if it actually comes down to our game that the Wales Ireland game in, in the penultimate round might be a little bit of a title decider. It should have a big bear yeah. in the title. I, anyway. I think our people go on the most recent results and the yeah. November internationals. We're very good. Mm-hmm. Ireland, Ireland were very, very good. Mm. And also, Wales, as ever, struggled. They did finally beat South Africa, but they lost to Australia in a tight game again. And then that's all irrelevant. And people look at the provinces as well and the Welsh regions. And that is irrelevant because <laughs> their best players, most of them are playing abroad now and playing well with the. If, 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 the, if the provincial form was any guideline, Ireland would have five or six Six Nations titles and a couple of Grand Slams and Wales would have none, so it's the other way around nearly. You know what I mean? It's yeah. just, <laughs> well, Stuart Barnes is tipping up Wales, so you've got that anyway. But we'll talk more about the tournament in general on Thursday and we'll talk more about the, the team once it's been picked on Thursday as well. Mm-hmm. But let's, uh, it's, it's always a fun exercise, Jerry, mm-hmm. especially this year. It, quite a few decisions have yeah. been made for, for Joe Schmidt, really, which is a bit odd when you think about it, uh, given that you would think that maybe the side might be a bit more settled, but I suppose there have been injuries and people are coming back. Let's start with Sean O'Brien and that back row. Does he go straight back in against Italy or at least come off the bench well, against Italy? This is an interesting one for him and typical of a few decisions he has to make. You're right. I, I don't think Simon's ever had a stronger hand to pick from, actually. But then again, a lot of them are very rusty. Keane Healy, Sean O'Brien, Brian Ian Henderson are all coming back from injuries and I wouldn't be surprised if all three of them make the bench I think O'Brien has to be involved 
because he's such a world-class player. And um, Joe's been starved of him and would be mustard keen to get him back involved. And he showed in the first 20 minutes before he blew a gasket by his own admission in the Wolfhounds game, which served no other purpose other than to get Sean O'Brien back in the pitch and to prove that Ian Henderson was still in cracking form. It served absolutely no other purpose. Maybe getting Mike Ross and um, Jack McGrath from game time helped as well. I think they'll all be involved as a result. I think it's an interesting one for him. It's a bit of a gamble if you leave him on the bench in case there's an injury early on. Because by his own admission, he wouldn't have 70 or 80 minutes of Test Match rugby in him at the moment. But I'm sure... So that could be an argument for actually starting him. But would he even get to half-time or 50 minutes in? I think he's going to be involved because otherwise you just leave him in hibernation till the following week and he'd want him involved against France as well. So I think push comes to shove. O'Mahony, uh, he's up six and eight. Tricky call at seven between Jordy Murphy and Tommy Donnell. He generally has gone Jordy Murphy with Sean O'Brien on the bench. That'd be my, the way I'd read it. What about you? Yeah, funny with Sean O'Brien, I think before the Wolfhounds game, he was being a little bit coy and saying, oh, look, we'll see further down the Six Nations. Mm. Who knows what Joe Schmidt is thinking? And then afterwards, he was saying, I'm ready. Mm. And I think the confidence for him would have been like the difference in his mindset between before Friday and this week would be worlds apart. He's also got to, Schmidt is doing his usual where he's talking up Italy big time. And it, mm-hmm. it's a way, of course, it's tricky if you're, if you're not switched on, but he's got to be looking at this as a two game block with Italy and France, presumably. If he's thinking of O'Brien being involved or starting against France, there's no exactly. way he can leave him on the bench and the or, same, sorry, leave him off the, off the bench and the same would apply to Ian Henderson most obviously yeah. and Keen Healy as well so I think they, you might find them all involved and on the bench and out have you said that the, the game against Wolfhounds didn't serve any other purpose besides showing Henderson's form and uh, giving Sean O'Brien game time mm. might it have served another purpose and this isn't necessarily a positive one but might it have uh, sir, uh, given Ian Madigan a chance to play his way out of the number 10 berth who do you see starting? I see Madigan start I don't think he did enough to play himself off the team because that would mean Ian Keatley almost getting in by default wouldn't it because he hasn't done much else to warrant being picked really apart from his monster form I think the game served a purpose and it gave McGrath and Ross game time Henderson O'Brien game time and it also gave Madigan an, an 80 minute run at, at out half and his goal kicking was, came good again which I think was important and I think when it comes to a call between the two I think Madigan's more reliable goal kicking which will sway it Ron Nogara always said like you know goal kicking is a very important aspect of an out half's play and it and it is, and it's sometimes overlooked in selections. I think it would would have to tip the balance in Madigan's way. I think as well, he closed out the game for Ireland against France in the Six Nations. And, and the second test in Argentina yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah good so point. He has been, mm. actually, some of the flashes gone out of his game, but mm. he, is he more stable? I, I didn't think he was selfish enough against the Wolfhounds. Yeah. Maybe, maybe he was thinking more, hold on to it, rather than do something extra to try and prove more about himself. Maybe, yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe. I think his kicking out of hand needs to improve still for an out half. It's just not that level for an, a Six Nations starting number 10. His kicking out of hand needs to improve. He needs more length in it. Um, I thought at times he was too deep. He wasn't helped by the lack of protection Kieran Marmion was getting and sometimes getting cross wires from the base. Um, so it was slow ball from behind the gain line, which isn't, and, and they were running it or kicking it. There wasn't much he could do with it. Um, and they weren't really, they, they very seldom, I think about twice in the match, they built through the phases, once nearing half time. So I still think that, uh, I think another week working with Joe Schmidt in training camp this week, and you'll get more out of him. And I think, I think just on, be fine. Just on, on length of a kick, though, yep. that's, it's a really basic thing. If, if one team is inferior in that regard, it's just the easiest way to gain ground in any aspect yep. of rugby. Do players get any better at that as they get older? Is that something. Lads in their mid-twenties can get better at I would have thought so, definitely, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's like place kicking. You can always improve. 
um, through ch- changes in technique, through more practice. Um, I would have thought it is something he can get better at. I think he's disadvantaged in, in that playing at 12, he's not asked to do an awful lot of kicking out of hand. So he's not getting match practice kicking out of hand, which again would have been a reason why Joe Schmidt would have wanted to give him the full 80 last Friday night. And again, I think is another point as to why he'll start. Centre is a big one. We've been so used to Six Nations games with Gordon mm-hmm. Darcy and Brian O'Driscoll playing. Potentially neither of them will be starting this weekend. Who are you looking at at, at 12 and 13? Well, it's funny. It's raining 13, as Simon said <laughs> off air to me last week, and it is raining 13. You need Darren Cave even chipping in with a hat-trick, yeah. you know what I mean, for Ulster against yeah. Leicester. Um, Keith Earls going really well there. Luke Fitzgerald going really well there. Robbie Henshaw going there. It's actually raining 13s, and not so much in the way of 12s, with Gordon Darcy not getting much game time. Um, Madigan holding the number 12 slot for Leinster, and... Uh, Dennis Hurley and Bundy Aki and the Ulster boys keep falling down injured Stuart Olding and Luke Marshall so I think Robbie Henshaw is going to be reconverted into 12 and he's, if you just go by what he did last November he went Henshaw 12 Payne 13 and he probably would have done the same against Australia but for Payne being injured therefore I think that's the way he's going to go again with Henshaw 12 Payne 13 Still quite an unproven centre yep. partnership though guys not used to playing those positions it seems very risky for, for Six Nations no? Well, I don't think Gordon Darcy's done enough to warrant being picked at 12. Right. You know, it's got to have an element of looking towards the future. And, I mean, there's no doubt that Robbie Henshaw has the build to be a very effective 12. He's more suited physically to playing international rugby at 12 than Sayin Madigan is. Yeah, Sai? I think with Darcy, it's a strange one because when a player hits his mid-30s and he loses form, people assume that's, that's it. forever. Yeah, Terminal, because it yeah. could just yeah. be he's an older guy who's lost a bit of form. Yeah. But he, he doesn't look confident at all when he has come on. He, a, he's not getting picked, but then when he does come on, mm. he's very, very quiet on the pitch. And that's happened to him occasionally during his career. But you don't have to think back too far to him playing very, very well. And yet, it seems like he may not even make the bench now. Yeah, it does. And you're right. I mean, it might just be that coming away from the, the Irish line, like going back into the Leinster environment and getting a couple of starts in a row for Leinster and finding a bit of form, he could, he could, he could revitalise his form very quickly. You're right, he's shown that to be capable of doing that in the past. But I don't think he's, I think he might miss out on the 23 here, all right? Yeah, and it's, it, I just find it kind of weird to say the, the argument against playing Luke Fitzgerald or Keith Earls mm-hmm. at 13 oftentimes is, well, they can cover... You know, they can cover three positions on the bench or something like that. And it's used often against Ian Henderson as well that, you know, we he, he we won't play him uh, ahead of Devon Toner in the second row because he can cover the back row as well. I just kind of feel that that's a very strange way to go about picking your team for games that, right, this is the tournament that we're going to try and win. To try and p- pick a team or to leave off a guy that you think is the best in his position because he can cover two positions or three positions on the on the on the Sultan, it strikes me as a very very strange way to go about, it. and this is generally as opposed to just what Joe Schmidt does or what Ireland does. It's a very strange way of going about picking your team. I think I don't think don't think Joe's doing think of it like that at all though. I mean, yeah. I just think Payne is his first choice thirteen. Uh, this is the partnership he wanted to try from last November, and I think he'd want to have another look at it. And if you look at it in tandem with Johnny Sexton, it's a very physical ten twelve thirteen, probably the most physical, the biggest ten twelve thirteen Ireland yeah. have ever put in a rugby pitch. And it's the way of the modern game, where if now you have to compete like with like. Um, I think Earls and Fitzgerald would have given him food for thought in the last few weeks, Earls particularly. I think of the two, Earls might be the one closest to getting back in the team um, because he has shown real acceleration and he's beaten players one-on-one more actually than Luke has been shown very good footwork. 
He's carried into contact very well. He's passed very well. But we haven't seen that blinding acceleration over the first 10 or 15 yards that he was showing a year ago, if you remember, before he got his long-term injury. Whereas Keith Earls has shown a bit more of his old X-factor. And I'd say that might just be the, what tips it to, in Earls' favour to be on the bench. I think that 23 shirt is the most competitive probably of the entire 23. It's about five players gunning for yeah, it. And I wouldn't, be, I wouldn't be surprised. It's as if they've all been emboldened by the absence <laughs> of a Driscoll. Yeah. But I, I think Luke Fitzgerald has that acceleration. I mm-hmm. just don't think the Leinster backline have been putting... Nobody's been putting anybody else into mm-hmm. space every single time they try and do something it's just one guy having a bit of a dart and then nothing mm-hmm. following it up but um, I think Earl's defence is still going to hold him off yeah, Luke's yeah. defence Luke's defence Fitzgerald's defence was very good in the really Wasps game good, yeah. Yeah. and he's a really good on the wing he's a really good defender yeah. there mm-hmm. are quite a few permutations in the front rows so maybe the best thing to do Jerry, is if you were picking the team there's always the distinction here between Joe Schmidt's team and Jerry Thorny's Ireland team if you were picking the 15 what would it be? Maybe we can see. If well, I think agreement. I don't think Keane Healy's ready yet, obviously, to start a test match, not having played in so long. So you'd imagine that Jack McGrath, after another game under his belt, will start again, a bit like O'Brien and Henderson. If you want Healy involved against France, you have to risk him on the bench this time and hope that McGrath will be fine until about twenty to go, and then have a look at Keane Healy. Um, best and Cronin. I'd probably go for Cronin's impact off the bench. I can understand their thinking, and I'm sure that's what he would do. If I was to dare disagree with the great man, um, I think Marty Moore is the future. I think Mike Ross did not play well in December against Harlequins. I think Leinster were entirely vindicated in picking Marty Moore from the start for their two January European Champions Cup games. But I think he's going to go back to Ross. He's, Ross is not unusual, and he plays his best rugby for Joe Schmidt for whatever reason. And I would imagine that Ross will start. Second row? Um, I don't see how you can drop Devon Toner or Paul O'Connell, certainly. I mean, regardless of inter-pro form, up and down perform, there aren't too many options in second row. With Mike McCarty observing the return to play protocol, I think Ian Henderson would have got on the team anyway. The big boon of last Friday night was Ian Henderson. I mean, the guy is a reminder of what a freakish talent he really is. Ireland don't tend to produce big, um, athletic second rows with really good footwork, good hands, good carriers, he clears out, he's athletic in the air, I mean he ticks every box, he's a wonderful player and it's probably only a matter of time before he gets starting in that second row and might well be by the time the World Cup. Back row, you, you said O'Brien off the bench, didn't you? Yep. So how, yeah. what's the starting back row? I think there? it might be Peter Armani at six, Jamie Heaser at eight and it, it seems as if it's going to be a foot race between Jordy Murphy and Tommy O'Donnell for number seven. Um, I'm a big Tommy O'Donnell fan, I think he's been playing really well this season, I think he's been playing some of his best rugby but when Joe has had a choice between the two in the past, he's tended to veer towards Jordy Murphy. So I wouldn't be surprised. Murphy was good in the last couple of games for Leinster. He's found a bit of form like a few Leinster players after running games. I wouldn't be surprised if he started him. Jordy Murphy yeah. offloads. And there's almost nobody in Ireland offloading at the moment. Yeah. There's quite a few times for Leinster in the last few weeks where he'll make just that half break and as he's falling, mm. pops it up and does it well. And he, mm. he looks really comfortable with the ball in his hands. Tommy Donnell's probably a little bit more explosive, is he? Yeah, yeah. Uh, he's a little bit more better. acceleration. Yeah, a yeah. little bit more explosive, a little bit more acceleration. Um, I think he's better footwork. I think Jordy needs to improve his footwork, particularly in defence. But I agree with you, Jordy's a very good carrier as well and a very good offloader. And um, A bit more bulk. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Murray and Sexton then out half. Centres, we've talked about. Any surprises in the back three? Murray and Madigan in the back. Uh, yeah, Mur- yeah. Murray and Madigan, of yeah, course, yeah, in yeah, yeah. injury, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, any surprises in the back three there? Well, um, Dave Carney's still in there and Dave Carney had a magnificent Six Nations and came up off the wing to close down a certain French try and help Ireland win the Six Nations title last year. Um, Joe's a fan. It ha- you'd have to imagine Rob Carney will definitely be fullback, Lions starting fullback once upon a time. Tommy Bow, Lions starting winner once upon a time. They will both start. I think Simon Zebo's been in stunning form. 
and I'd be surprised and disappointed if he didn't start. Simon, any bolters for yourself? Any disagreements there on the 15? Um, I think Marty Moore probably should start hmm. because he's been really good um, and his scrummaging is improving. And if you're thinking about options and also he's a little better around the field than Ross ultimately he, no question yeah. better tackler particularly yeah. he's a good tackler actually Simon he, come, yeah. he can make defensive reads shoot up off the line and make hits yeah, he with the best one in the world fast backs the back three <laughs> yeah. guys yeah. Mike, Ross doesn't have, Mike Ross does not have that in his repertoire yeah, yeah. I, I disagree on the Devon Toner thing I think Devon Toner at his very best and that's what he was in the last six nations best he's ever played under Joe Schmidt or yeah. under anybody is is worth his place, but um, Ian Henderson um, is going to be a better player. Mm-hmm. Maybe, and, yeah. So start that with, now, with you think? With Paul O'Connell, obviously amazing in the line-out, um, I think Ian Henderson should should play. Tony was excellent in November as well. He's got a hell of a run of form for Ireland. I, I don't know. I don't think he's in his, t- his top-level form. Mm. I think he plays within himself a little bit and is carrying... Improved, but now it's plateaued again. There's no doubt it's a debate now this week, more so than it would have been because of what happened on Friday night. Because Henderson was so good. That is a debate now, big time. Team is named on Thursday, so we can debate that for the next few days. The On Wednesday, Jerry, there's an, an Irish Time Six Nations 2015 preview pullout. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have it sitting in front of me, a preview copy here. And there's mm-hmm. a big interview by yourself with Johnny Sexton amongst the articles. He was in good form. He was in excellent form. You know, he's, um, it reminded me of what a. Uh, He's actually a very interesting lad. I mean, if he doesn't, when he finishes playing, he does admit he hates the thought of that day coming because he's so into the sport in every way, shape, or form. He's an avid watcher if he's not playing it. And, you know, I, could say, I think you're right. So you once said it to me, I, you can imagine himself and Joe have a lot of coffees together. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> you know, and I chatted to him for a good hour and he would have chatted longer. Um, and he's just a very in, engaging, interesting lad. He, every answer he gives thoughtful consideration. He's articulate. So like I was saying, when that day comes that he does have to stop, I would imagine he'll have to go into coaching or become a pundit. I wouldn't have ever seen being able to walk away from the game. Okay, well that's it's how like, It's like O'Gara. The, yeah. They can't fudge an answer. They're, <laughs> yeah. They've been the best two interviewees yes. of the last... Something about the yeah. position, maybe. We'll leave yeah. it there. No, that's out on Wednesday. Jerry, Sorry, thank you. Cheers. Cheers. In the final and on in again. And here Yeah, I guess we only sort of finalised the first 15 there, but the, the bench is going to be almost as important. And if you look at it, if, even if you take out some of the guys who aren't in that starting 15, Sean O'Brien, Jerry thinks, is going to play a part off the subs bench. Keen Healy, this could be one of the all-time great Ireland uh, replacement mm. benches here. If Keen Healy's involved, if it's not too early for him, Owen Redden, Luke Fitz or Keith Earls, Ian Henderson's turning into a superb player as well. There were, it wasn't so long ago, even last season, I'd, you'd argue, that we didn't exactly have a huge... Impact, impact off the bench. Well, uh, all of those players are maybe, impact. Yeah, maybe in the Eddie, uh, probably in the Eddie O'Sullivan days, and maybe even into Kidney, the argument was that we probably didn't use it enough when we did have a bit of impact. 
but I'm not sure if we necessarily. It's not something we've we've, we've either had the capability or the willingness to use as well as other countries. I think it's probably fair to say, but I'm sure Joe Schmidt will throw a few of those boys in if I, we're struggling against Italy a few minutes ago. I, I would think that uh, should he look behind him, uh, that's a bit of a GA line. Should he peer down from his uh, court, from his uh, uh, management box uh, to our bench, he will see plenty of things to. Uh, to lighten the load for him. I started with the Super Bomber, so I'll end with it. Okay. The comparison between the coverage on Sky Sports and the coverage on Channel 4 was really interesting. Sky Sports, not... I, I, I quite respected them for it. Mm. They decided, we're not going to suddenly talk down to our audience just because we've got new people who don't necessarily watch every week. Uh, we're going to do our serious, detailed analysis pretty much from the start. And Channel 4 took a slightly different view, uh, explaining in detail what the game is, what the sport, how you play it, mm-hmm. how you score points, those kind of things. They sent Vernon Kay out to do a lot of packages out in the US and they were getting banged for their book. Whatever books they're paying Vernon Kay, yeah. he, uh, he delivered in spades, sending back a million different packages. Getting paid by the minute, obviously. <laughs> yeah. Getting paid by the uh, bland interview with super celebs such mm. as Alice Cooper, a local over there in Phoenix, Arizona, uh, who has Snoop Dogg, who was promoting something called the Snooper Bowl. Yep. As, sure, that's classy. As somebody, I, I, can't, I don't have the name here, somebody tweeted to me, the Snooper Bowl, it sounds a bit like the Super Bowl, just with less drugs, which I thought <laughs> was a nice line. I will, I'm sorry to whoever that was who tweeted. I did tweet them back, but I've forgotten who sent that one on. But yeah, so we'll leave, we'll leave that there because we are going to talk to US Murph uh, about a little bit of that come Wednesday, and particularly about his Doug and Lisa party. Mm. Which, That's uh, going to form the, the major part of our yeah. chat with Brian. Yeah, we'll talk about the Six Nations as well, but mostly we'll talk about Brian Murphy's Super Bowl party on Thursday. And our football podcast is out later today. There's no Ken, but please listen to myself and Murph. Uh, and Emmett Malone is going to call into us for that. So you will have some sensible mm. uh, thoughts on the football from the weekend. And also on Martin O'Neill's press conference yesterday. I was at that one. Uh, he was in pretty good humour fielding questions about Roy Keane's latest alleged misdemeanour. But we'll have a decent chat with Emmett about all of that. Thanks very much for listening to this one. Check out irishtimes.com forward slash podcasts and check out secondcaptains.com if you have time as well. We'll chat to you soon. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home. They never go home. They never go home, those, those, those boys. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.